Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. In Luke chapter 10, we had the sermon last week, learning about the Good Samaritan. And in that text, the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus is driving after a very important question that's been raised, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But then at the end, he turns to a different question, who is my neighbor? As you look at this parable, different Christians can come to different conclusions on what the main meaning of the parable is. In fact, you could find that some come up with a completely opposite interpretation looking at the very same scriptures. Some could look at the text And when Jesus says, do this and you will live, meaning love your neighbor and love God, do this and you will live, and actually mean it, intending that the lawyer would go and keep the commandments so that he can inherit eternal life. Others will look at this phrase, do this and you will live, and say Jesus doesn't really mean do this and you will live, at least he means do this and you will live, only you can't. You aren't capable of loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and you have not loved your neighbor as yourself, so the real point of Jesus' making by answering the question is, you've not kept the commandments, and let me show you how. And yet others can come to the end of the parable and come to a third conclusion when Jesus shows how the Samaritan helped the man on the side of the road, took him to an inn, helped him heal, paid for his stay. And then he says to the man, you go and do likewise, that what Jesus is driving after is actually our love for our neighbor. And the whole point has to do with a social issue of how we treat those around us in our community, especially the underprivileged, or different races and ethnicities. So we can come at this text of the parable of the Good Samaritan and end up with three different conclusions. What Jesus wants us to do to inherit eternal life, what Jesus knows we can never do to inherit eternal life, or what Jesus wants us to do to love our neighbor in society. So, what is Jesus saying? We're on a journey with Jesus. From chapter 9, we've seen Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, and we're on a journey with Jesus to follow him to the cross. In fact, our whole life is about that journey, and on that journey, we are going to encounter these questions about what we're doing. Whether we should go this way or that way. We're going to encounter these challenges. What does Jesus mean? Am I doing the right thing? Am I following his commandments? And is my church doing the right thing? Are we on the right mission? Are we having the right focus as a congregation of what Jesus wants us to do? And we can come out of this text and find, be confused about what the main thing is. Today we've come to the text that immediately follows the Good Samaritan, which is the story of 
Martha and Mary. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Dear Lord, bless us as we listen to your holy word at your feet. One thing is necessary, Jesus says. Now, this text also sets us up for some trouble. Because as as soon as we say one thing is necessary, are we to conclude that all other things don't matter? That as long as we are in church, listening to Jesus, the rest of this doesn't matter. Helping the man on the side of the road, loving your neighbor, being hospitable, Is Jesus calling out Martha because she is not focused on a good thing, she's focused on a bad thing, and all that matters is that you're sitting in church today? I'd like to refer to you to the third Star Wars movie. And in the third Star Wars movie, The Revenge of the Sith, you find that Anakin Skywalker, who is later to be known as Darth Vader, has turned to the dark side. And there he is confronted by his old friend and mentor, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and there's an exchange about why is Anakin doing all these evil things? Why has she turned to the dark side? Doesn't he know that it's all a lie? Anakin says, if you're not with me, then you're against me. You're my enemy. Obi-Wan Kenobi says, only Siths deal in absolutes. There is a strategy that the devil has when he sets us up to fail. He gives us these propositions which on the surface seem like perfectly logical choices. Either it's this or it's this. And we get caught up in arguments about which one is right and that I'm on the right side and you're on the wrong side. It's A, not B. It's zero, not one. It's black, not white. The evil one deals in this strategy because it gets us into a trap where we're working over our conscience and scripture. And we come to Bible passages already because we've chosen which of the one we want. And we come to Bible passages in order to justify where we already are. And if you search through the scriptures, you could probably find a Bible passage to qualify and approve of you to make just about any choice in this world short of the obvious ones like violating the Ten Commandments. Okay, so outside of the obvious immorality that that Bible highlights is wrong, 
There are so many choices in this world about us living our lives as Christians, how we spend our time and our focus and our money, being in church, what a church should do, that a pastor can take one passage, make it say one thing to make you feel good, or go to a different passage to make you say the opposite and make you feel good. When you walk a tightrope between two buildings, the danger is thinking that in order to stay on the tightrope, you need to lean. What God is trying to show us is right in front of us. And I'll give you another example, this time from Jesus in the wilderness. When the enemy comes to Jesus during his 40 days in the wilderness, he presents one of these propositions where it's either this or this. He says, if you are the son of God, then command these stones to become bread. In other words, there's only two choices. Either you are God's son or you aren't. And if you are, then God would obviously not want you to be hungry. Which one of us as fathers wants our kids to starve? If you are God's son, then obviously he would want you to eat. So make the stones become bread, just like God did for Israel in the wilderness when, they provided, when he provided manna for those 40 years. Do the same thing. You're God's son. And if not, either if you're not able to or you won't and God won't provide it, then the conclusion is you must not be God's son. Do you see the trap? Sometimes we call this a catch-22, which comes from a novel that was written in 1961. A catch-22 refers back to a paradoxical situation which, where the only solution seems to be denied by the circumstances, the rules, the restraints, so that you can never, ha you can never win. In the story, it's about an Air Force pilot who is fighting in World War II. And he's flying uh, missions in Italy. He's so sick of war and seeing death that toward the end of the war, he wants to get out. And so he goes to his commanding officer and says, is there any way for me to get out? The only way to get out, other than abandoning your post and being court-martialed, is to become insane. There's this catch-22, this rule 22, that refers to if a pilot is insane, then he can get a peaceful relief. As he's meeting with his psychologist, his psychologist concludes that he's really not insane because the fact that he's asking for a leave and that he wants to preserve his life means that he's not insane, he's very sane, and so he's trapped because the war is driving him insane but if he realizes that, then he's not really insane, and there's no way out. The enemy has set a trap 22 for us and for Jesus. So many times in our life he does this to get you caught in that situation where you think it's this or this, and anybody who's not on your side is wrong and against you. Jesus responds as only... Jesus could by quoting scripture. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Notice how Deuteronomy 8 answers not just one question, but it answers multiple questions 
destroying the devil's arguments. The context of Deuteronomy 8 is the manna in the wilderness. So Jesus is setting himself in that same scenario to show the real point of the manna in the wilderness was not for us to force God's hand into feeding us every day, not to prove that we deserve daily bread, but to see what faith is. Because the bread would show up every day, but only for one day. And if you gathered more than you needed, it would rot. So at the end of the day, once you've eaten your bread for that day, all you have left is faith. Faith that God will keep his word the next day. That the daily bread will be there again. Does God think bread is important? Does God intend to feed you and supply your daily needs for your body? Has he designed you to live that way? Yes. The passage says, man shall not live by bread alone, meaning bread is important, but it's not everything. It's not bread alone that sustains us, but it's every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Which means that the only reason things are important in life, the only reason things have value in our lives, the only reason a choice between this path and this path means anything is because God's word speaks. God's word makes bread. God's word brings light into this world. God's word is what's going to reveal what Jesus means in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's not so simple as this or this. It might be a third thing you've never even thought of. It might be both. It might be three things. It might be a different thing depending on what the context of your life is. The Holy Spirit's work is to reveal those things to your heart as the word is preached here in church. The bigger catch-22 is that if the devil can afflict you so much over these decisions, over these things happening in your life and these circumstances, that it's driving you insane, then the devil's already won. Because he's got you to focus more on the circumstances, the questions, the uncertainty, trying to figure it all out, that you're no longer thinking about who? Jesus. This is especially true when we look at the mission of the church. When we think about, should it, does it just matter that I'm sitting in church? Does it matter that I help the man on the side of the road? It all matters. But the only way to get the answers is here where Mary is seated. Martha is busy and worried about many things. She's got her mind packed to the point where she lays down at night and the thoughts keep swirling and she can't even sleep. These are the scenarios we go through. 
when our brain is on hyperdrive trying to solve problems that might not have a solution. And so we work it over and over and we remember these things and he said that, she said that, and this is why I'm justified and they're not to the point of insanity. It drives us insane until finally Jesus says, no, Martha. The problem is not that you are trying to serve. The problem is not your hospitality. In fact, if you look at the theme of Luke from beginning to end, this idea of hospitality, who welcomes Jesus, how do they treat him, what do they think of him matters significantly. And when it says Martha welcomed Jesus into her house, no one is faulting her for that. Jesus is not saying, let your house become a mess, don't cook food for your kids, just be in church all the time and listen to Jesus. He's saying your focus is on the wrong thing. It's not because these other things are not important. To help the poor, to heal the sick, to rescue those in need, to serve your neighbor, to oppose those who are pressing others. But if you look at the Good Samaritan and you think the goal is that the church's mission is just to do these things, without the context of Jesus, you're going to burn yourself out. And this is where ministries burn out time and again, where pastors burn out, where churches burn out, is because they're only focused on those social things and outward things, but they've neglected the main thing first, the choices we're making every day that Jesus wants us to make. We can be so busy serving about many different things to the point of distraction from the main thing, which is why the season of Lent is so important. It's a season where we take extra services on Wednesday nights. We take extra time to slow down, where even our liturgy here is inviting you to take a moment before we go into prayer and just think, be with God. Mary has chosen the good thing, the necessary thing. That means, yes, without the word, all the other things don't matter. But with the word, it changes everything. Mary has chosen the good part. This is the only way we can find rest. There's a Powerade commercial in the NCAA tournament for March Madness that says, pause is power. And in the commercial, it's talking about athletes who have burned themselves out in striving for Olympic medals or trying to get the highest draft pick or making sure that they are starting on the team from their training, their workouts, their commitment, their time from such a young age. Some of these athletes come out and they're scarred by those experiences from little on of fathers who have pushed them to the point of breaking. And so the commercial says, pause is power, take a minute. Meaning that athletes should take a break and not have their whole lives be sports. How much more true is it when Jesus says it? When Jesus says pause is power, take a minute out 
of your busy lives where you're worried about so many things to just listen and ask Jesus, what do you think? What are you saying? Because we can be on that journey determined to go to the cross and forget what happened to Peter when he got there, not listening to Jesus' warnings, and in his pride, ended up denying Jesus three times. We can be determined to go all the way, but if we aren't listening to him along the way, it's going to lose its meaning. It's going to leave us lost in a catch-22. One thing is necessary. It's all about Jesus. And so going back to every Bible story that we are going through in the Gospel of Luke, it's all about Jesus. It's about Jesus forgiving sinful women. It's about Jesus welcoming the poor. It's about Jesus healing the stranger. It's about Jesus teaching Mary and Martha and us so that we would listen to what he is saying and he can tell us what he means. Amen.